Listening to The Edge, everything bass fishing, coming to you worldwide from MegaWare Keelguard Studios. What's up, Bass Edge Radio? Aaron, dude, the chill has arrived, and man, I feel a little frisky. <laughs> yeah, yes, sir, the chill has arrived, and uh, hopefully you had a great Halloween, and uh, sounds like you might still be on a sugar high, which I understand, that's okay. <laughs> Um, but, uh, as always, Kurt, you know, there's 339 episodes, every single one of them are friends at MegaWare Keelguard. We've talked about them all the time. Pretty exciting stuff coming. Two things. One is I can talk a little more about, I got my hands on a new product that they are bringing out potentially and exciting stuff. As you know, they are always developing cutting edge stuff that makes sense for boaters like you and I and the rest of the Bass Edge community. If you have not checked them out, be sure to visit keelguard.com. Additionally, we're going to do some co-branded apparel. Um, nice. So that will be coming out. Yeah, I don't know if it'll be here in time for Christmas, but uh, we're going to do our best. Uh, so be on the lookout for that here in the coming weeks. I like that. Get some Bass Edge swag along with MegaWare swag. I'm all down with that. And coming out with new products, Aaron, I got to say, we probably haven't talked about it enough this year, but now that the year is winding down, I got to say how impressed I am with the battery guard. It's been a great product. Um, use it in my camper, obviously use it in my boat, and uh, really just protecting that investment. We talked well, about that new product earlier this year, and it's done its job, man. I'm, for I'm sure, for it. sure, especially with all the boat traffic this year, the increased boat traffic, uh, the <laughs> waves. I oh, wish yeah. I would have been setting on a couple of battery guards under my seat, you know, in my nitro. <laughs> uh, so That's outstanding. Great point. So uh, I got to say another thing is – Dude, I am enjoying the fall fishing entertainment. Isn't this the- nice? Isn't this? I mean, we we haven't. I, I can't remember the last time that we've got to experience this. You know, with the BASS Opens and the Elites. Yeah, usually you get maybe a tournament, right? A championship. You get the two day regionals in the fall, but to have you know the tour events and more of the Toyota series happening in the fall, you're seeing techniques that you know work you know are applicable you're seeing patterns that are prevalent this time of year but actually seeing them win tournaments actually seeing them be effective in tournaments fun to watch and and really like the live for the open events that's cool to watch the final day you can watch it on bassmaster.com watch that live event and uh still (laughs) tons of fishing to go you got the uh, lake fork elite series event you got a couple of toyota events you got the championship and still i think uh three bassmaster open events to go at least two so uh excited about that and we'll continue watching enjoying the entertainment of fall fishing at the tournament level scene I'm just a junkie, so I love it. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. And then we don't have to spend so much time, you know, talking about deer hunting and all that other kind of stuff. Not that deer hunting is bad. It's just uh, we are called <laughs> Bass Edge. We're not Antlers Edge. You, know? <laughs> you don't You don't want to talk to me about deer hunting. I can assure you that. <laughs> all right. But what we do like to talk about is more bass fishing. So hang on tight. We're going to bring you another awesome tip brought to you by ProtectTheHarvest.com. Y'all stay tuned. We're going to have a great episode. 
This episode's ProtectTheHarvest.com Tackle Tip with FLW Pro Circuit Champion, Rusty Soleski. I'm Rusty Soleski, and one thing I would like to do in the fall that I feel helps me catch more fish is there's a lot of times you find an area that they're really chewing bait, and there's a lot of bait and quite a bit of fish around, and you'll find that you can't get bites like you think you should. I actually will turn and go to a crowdad imitating bait instead of a shad imitating bait, and you'll be surprised. Give us a shot at where you live where you fish and you'll be uh, really surprised how well this can work at times awesome tip appreciate that rusty brought to you by protecttheharvest.com first by land and now by sea for years lucas oil has been a staple in high performance vehicles on both the road and track now from the makers of lucas oil comes lucas marine products specifically engineered for marine applications protect and lubricate your marine inboard outboard or high performance boat with lucas marine engine oil or lucas synthetic based oil learn more about the complete line of lucas oil and marine products visit lucasoil.com Nitro Performance Bass Boats. Get pro-level performance with the Nitro Z18, the official boat of Major League Fishing. The Z18, with its nimble handling and versatility, sports many of the features in the larger boats in the line, like a Guardian Livewell, a heavily insulated cooler, dual 8-foot rod storage, and our smooth and fast NVT hull. Every Nitro boat is laid out to do one thing very well, catch fish. Enormous front decks up to 45 square feet on the Z21 allow maximum mobility when battling unruly bass and feature low-profile gunnels for ease of skipping, pitching, flipping, or landing fish. Nitro Performance Bass Boats, pure fishing machines. had some events there in mid-October that we were excited to get going. I got to tell you, from my perspective, love to hear your perspective. You know, fall really hadn't got there when I got to my event. Of course, I was fishing in, in Las Vegas at the One Bass US Open. Your event, a little farther north, Bull Shoals. How did that break down for you? How was the fall transitioning as far as when you got to the tournament? And how did it break down for you? Yeah, great question. Uh, fall didn't get there either until I left Sunday night. On my drive, the temperature dropped uh, between Bull Shoals and St. Louis dropped about 32 degrees. Wow. It was in the 80s. I was fishing in shorts, got sunburned the entire week of practice. <laughs> um, you know, I'll, I'll be quick. 2020 has just been, right, it's been tough on all of us. And I uh, kind of laughed and, and you know, you, you've just got to keep your wits about you. But I arrive on Monday, practice, uh, get there Monday night, start breaking in the boat, didn't really fish, did some graphing. Tuesday, went uh, basically a 57-mile run in practice just to kind of get oh. some hours on the mercury, you know. Yeah. Well, I had a uh, neutral switch go out. And uh, so anyway, long story short, my practice day on Tuesday got cut short and I got back to the house about 9.30 that night, but we got taken care of back in on the water on Wednesday. Of course, tournament starting on Friday. Um, so still have two days, plenty of time, plenty of time to fish. I couldn't get the shallow bite going. I, and I think a lot of that, Kurt, had to do with what you mentioned, what you alluded to with just the, the heat I mean, the water, they were dropping the water right. about six inches a day. Uh, I think they were pulling out of the bushes. So I think the fish were a little bit confused. The fish that I've been catching were deeper on a football jig. And uh, so that's really the, I, I never did catch a limit during those two days of practice. 
and normally I don't count on uh, you know 13 inch spotted bass or Kentuckys. I was hoping I could just catch one of those in the tournament. You had a decent first day of the event, though. I did, I did, but that's you, you were right in the hunt. Yes, yes, I was, and you know, kind of my thoughts were that you can't lose it on the first day. We've talked a lot about that on here. Um, so I felt if I could catch 10 to 12 pounds, I would be right there positioned for day two of a three day tournament, and that's exactly where I wanted to be. And and so no qualms there. I will tell you that I ended up catching them all on a football jig and caught them very quickly in about a hundred yard stretch. I had my fifth one on, but lost it, but that's how it goes. Uh, Day two, wind advisory, the tournament got canceled, and I respect that for a safety issue, but the wind never really materialized until later that day. Kind of changes the whole process, too, of, you know, kind of your idea of tough practice, chipping away on a three-day event. Now it's all conjured out to a two-day tourney, so the chipping away at two-pounders to ultimately do good in a three-day event turns into, uh uh-oh, we need some big bass. (laughs) You absolutely could not have said it better. I mean, there were several of us that were talking around, and you've been in this situation way more than I have, but we were all talking. Um, You know, it's it's a much different strategy, and now you go from, okay, if I can be consistent three days in a row to where it's like, okay, it's a a one-day shootout. Everybody advances to the final day uh, instead of just the top 10. And so I had to more or less, I had to call an audible and uh, it was calm, cloudy, which was not during practice, was not during the first two days of the, of the scheduled tournament and conditions changed as they always do. I've tried the football jig a little bit in the morning. Uh, that was not working. So I completely abandoned that, went to all new water, picked up top water, started throwing a buzz bait at first because there was no wind, caught my first keeper on that with the frog, like you and I have talked about uh, a couple episodes ago with the okay. gold blade with the frog on it. And nice. then as the wind started blowing, I, I went to the uh, a whopper plopper black in the 90 series, a little more subtle. I had a situation to where I pulled into a pocket and I had no less than six very nice bass blow up on the thing, but they just would not take it, Kurt. And uh, had about an hour left. I put on the big one and uh, managed to uh, suck out a couple more in that meantime. But uh, the big ones actually made the difference, but that's just how weird things were. And so hats off to Dustin Blevins, who absolutely Ishman rode us. I mean, just, <laughs> just, uh, just a beatdown, and you know, 18 pounds a day flipping, and so hats off to him and the whole group and all, all of the qualifiers there. Very cool, interesting, you know, great learning curve, uh, you know, as far as what we see in in those style of events. Not so different for me down at Lake Mead. Same scenario. Fall really hadn't come, and I felt like really, you know, just didn't have the push of fish where you could run a good back of pocket pattern and be very successful really became what I felt like was a local advantage to the guys that have fished Lake Mead quite a bit and uh, kind of more understanding the deep cover and deep structure that uh, is provided on that desert lake, which uh, probably isn't a ton of stuff. Obviously, there's some structure, but as far as, you know, just knowing where the other cover associated with structure is to uh, hold some of those summertime fish, which really kind of turned into a late summer style of event. I got lucky, caught a 467 smallmouth on day three for Big Bass Nice day. work. <laughs> yeah, caught it on a uh, an Ozark tried and true fall pattern, uh, cranking some rock. In, in a little shade line there, and the, and the desert lake's really important to uh, manage your shade line and use it when it's available, and, and it paid off for me. But uh, I tell you what, Aaron, I just love that dang tournament. I just 
it's tough as nails, uh, which is typical fall fishing. Sure. But sure. Uh, just love the tournament and was super proud of the guy who won it. And um, actually, Aaron, excited to have him on today's show. So without playing around, playing any more games, or talking about you and myself, let's talk to the 2020 U.S. Open champion. Y'all stay tuned. He's coming up right after these messages in the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. Bradley Hallman here with Aaron and Kurt. This is Elite Series Pro, Greg DePama. This is MLF DBT Pro Angler, Justin Lucas. This is Ron Nelson, FLW Pro. This is DPT MLS Pro, Brian Thrift. This is Elite Series Pro, Buddy Gross. Mass Edge will return in just a moment. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything else other than the original and toughest DIY keel protector for your boat, MegaWare Keel Guard. Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology. MegaWare Keel Guard Keel Protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also for MegaWare Keel Guard, Skeg Guard, Flex Step Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWare Keel Guard. Guys, I would say the U.S. Open is probably the second longest running big money a special event or championship event in the United States. It has elevated some of the West Coast's best talent in its early years and has often been referred to as one of the toughest tournaments of all to win. Today, we highlight the 2020 Juan Bass U.S. Open champion, Timmy Klinger. Thanks for hanging out with us here on Bass Edge Radio, Timmy. Hi, guys. Thanks to be here. Well, it's uh, certainly great to have you on the show, like Kurt had mentioned. And, you know, I wish we had more time so that I could talk about all of the many tournaments uh, and the accolades that you have. But just to name a few, uh, you know, FLW Tour Champion, Bassmaster Classic Competitor, FLW Toyota Series Champion. You know, I could go on and on. But one thing that I do want to know, Timmy, is like Kurt had said, this tournament, the, the one bass, the U.S. Open, is special in a lot of anglers' hearts. What does it mean to be the U.S. Open? champion to you and explain it for us as as you were chatting with an angler from the eastern half of the country you know that that might not know what this title means to a west coast angler all right so the u.s open you know it's been running for 38 years i was born and raised in boulder city nevada i'm about uh, 10 minutes from lake mead and uh that's always been the the biggest tournament on the west coast always you know guys from uh, back east always come out to fish it you know Denny Browers fished it Guido Hibden I mean lots and lots of guys uh, Rick Kwan you know that was the biggest running tournament for a lot of years and growing up you know I'd, I'd go to the weigh-ins with my dad and watch these guys win and uh, one of the local pros uh, Pat Donahoe won I think maybe in 1993 and I just graduated high school in 92 and that was like one of my one of my dreams, you know, to become a U.S. Open champion. And uh, I've had my chances, you know, before, but uh, this year everything just fell right into place. You know, it was really special. In my eyes, probably my biggest accomplishment in tournament fishing. 
Dude, that that's saying a lot because as as Aaron mentioned earlier, I mean, you, you're knocking on the door of a million, maybe a little over a million dollars now in earnings. Um, hundred and sixty thousand dollars you won last month <laughs> at the at the Juan Bass US Open. So uh you you tack on, you know, the six hundred thousand plus uh, you know, in the FLW tour winnings and all the other, you know, awesome accomplishments that that you've had out West and, you know, let alone, you know, being able to bring it back East, it's so tough. You know, there's just a few anglers that have been able to really, you know, catapult their bass fishing career, hobby, whatever you want to call it into the mainstream, like, like you've been able to do Timmy. So, uh, props to you, dude, super impressive. And, and I gotta say this year, I, I've been able to come out and fish the, uh, Juan Bass us open the last four years, backing up what Timmy said, Aaron, it is freaking amazing event. The platform of the event, the format of the event, uh, the way that Western outdoor news puts on the event director, Billy Egan, just does a fabulous job and the history, the winners, as Timmy was mentioned earlier, Earlier, just goes on and on and on about how special this particular event is. And, and then Timmy, of course, being a local this year set up as a fall fishing event for the last four years in the U.S. Open being in October. Right. So there was some change there that they used to have the tournament in the dead nuts of summer for, for many, many years. And, and now it's kind of transitioned into this fall event. And fall was kind of late this year, wasn't it, Timmy? There, there wasn't like your traditional cool down that we've had before this. How did that affect the fishing for you this year? And how did you make those adjustments to be successful and become this year's champion? Yeah, so fall didn't hit. You know, I mean, fall's just hitting now. You know, right before the tournament, we had a couple of cool nights where it started to change things up a little bit. Cool for you. Is that like 85 degrees, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's been really warm, you know? So yeah, just even, uh, five degrees makes a big difference out here in the desert, you know, when you're used to, you know, 110, 105 or whatever. And then all of a sudden it's 95. I mean, that's a big deal. But, uh, I think a lot of the, a lot of the fish were still in the, in a summertime pattern, you know, in the deeper holes, you know, so to speak. But the lake was kind of different this year. We had super high water in the spring and then, oh, I guess around March, it just steadily started dropping and dropping and dropping. And I didn't fish for like six months out there on the lake until right wow. before the open i just practiced two days but i kept an eye on on the water level the, how it kept dropping and dropping and that was a big deal for me but yeah as far as the fall goes i mean it didn't hit i mean it's just now hitting fall so you know there's still quite a bit of grass in quite a few areas and that was a big player you know the shallow grass fish you know was pretty good but i think the key for me was the deeper fish you know they were still in the summertime pattern so i have actually the last few years you know we've had more of that cool down out there in your part of the country as the tournament approached and and it was easier to get bit you know shallow in the grass and um that's actually the way it's been won you know several years you know over the four years that i fished i think two years it's been one up in the grass fishing shallow kind of your typical fall scenario 
back of creeks, you know, finding, you know, kind of more shad pushed up in there. How did you decide, other than the fact that it didn't come, what did you see when you hit the water for those two practice days that kind of led you to adjust maybe from what was a typical witting pattern over the last several years? And then what maybe keyed you into those adjustments that then clicked and said, oh, yeah, I've got this. I'm doing the right thing now. And I understand why. What was it that you understood and why it was the way that it occurred throughout the event? So the first day of practice, I filled up the boat and I decided I was only going to practice two days. So I decided uh, I filled up the boat and I'm going to go practice for two or three hours in one area then go to another area for two or three hours, and then another area for two or three hours. And <laughs> ironically, that was, you know, one of them special days on Lake Mead. I probably caught 20 pounds for five fish. Wow. It was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but, so it was like, it was, <laughs> it was pretty amazing because I caught a couple on my TK1 spinnerbait. I caught a big one on a worm. Um, I had a big one on a buzzbait. And you know, I'd only typically catch one fish in one area if it was a nice one, and then I, and then I'd cover up my hooks and just fill for bites. But I ended up <laughs> catching two nice ones in this spot and move areas, and I catch another big one, you know, and then move again and catch another big one. And it was like in my head, you know, it was just like, wow, this is kind of lining up, you know. But I knew going into the tournament that a lot of them shallow grass fish we're going to have so much pressure. They've been having pressure because there was a couple big team championships prior to the open. Gotcha. So, yeah, and you put, you know, 240 plus boats on the lake, them shallow fish, they get skittish, you know. But a couple of the fish I caught that day in practice, I caught in like 12 to 18 foot of water. And, you know, I've really, really never seen anybody fishing like that, you know, and so it just was a super confidence booster. And then the second day of practice, I just went around and kind of did the same thing. And I, I decided, you know, I got more bites in one area than the other two areas. So I decided, well, that's where I'm going to start the tournament. And that's kind of how that worked out. But the first day of the event, man, it was super tough. Like I caught a keeper fish maybe within my first five casts. And then I went for a couple of hours without a bite. And I finally caught like a two pounder. It was about 1030 or so. And I decided oh, I'm going to go to my second area. And I ran up the lake. And uh, once I got there, the fish started biting. I mean, I caught them, called a couple of times and life was good. And then I decided, right, right. well, the next two days, I'm going to just stay in that area and, and roll the dice, you know, and, and it panned out that way. Came up doubles. <laughs> good feeling. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Very good feeling. Well, being that you have so much experience, let's just say, fishing from the West Coast to the Central U.S. and, and even some East Coast, you, you know, exposure there on, on the geography piece, what are what are the commonalities that you see in fishing from all those aspects that, that help with fall pattern fishing? You know, something I feel is, is becoming a lost art with so many anglers today. Yeah, well, you know, a bass is a bass. And uh, it doesn't matter if you're out here in the desert or over in Florida. You know, I fished in Florida quite a few times in uh, in November. And uh, the grass, in my opinion, the grass is like the number one key. The bait's always around the grass. Out here in the desert, before that grass dies, 
that's where the crawfish are, the shad like to be. If I was over in Florida, anywhere, say the Harris chain or whatever, fishing a rattle trap around the grass, those bass are always going to be around the grass because the bait's always around the grass. So where there's grass, there's bass. I've heard that before, and uh, it rings true a grin. As you say, no matter where you are in the country, what kind of um, approach would you take? Let's say you're you're on a lake um, that doesn't have a whole lot of grass. What kind of patterns are unfolding other than just kind of focusing on that grass portion? So, like, if I'm on a lake and it doesn't have grass in it, you know, I'm going to look for something else. You know, is there wood? Is there reeds? You know, something that's going to draw the bait fish. It seems like, for me anyways, if I'm chasing those fish that are out on points or out in the middle of bays, man, it's like a needle in a haystack catching them. You may catch them good one day, and the next day you may never find them again. So I want to find the ones that are keeping the bait locked up somewhere, locked up in a little pocket with some bushes in it, whatnot. Makes you know, sense, the, yeah. The ones that are out roaming, they're just so hard to catch, you know. So you get the bait locked up, and this kind of moves into my next question. This time of year, trying to locate bass during the fall can be difficult. They're in transition. They're moving a lot. Like you mentioned, if you're trying to fish for fish that aren't locked into something, like like you're mentioning, this is, I don't you know, like crazy profound, but very important for listeners to understand the point that you just made is that you're focusing on cover or targets that are locking the bait fish up shallow where the fish are wanting to move in the fall. And it feels like even if it's early fall you can still get some of those bites in those areas there could be some fish out deep still like you capitalize at the u.s open but as the water temperature cools you know there's just more and more fish moving into those areas that you talk about where the bait can be locked up into something what is it that you think in the fall can make fishing so tough is it just because there's not a ton of places where those bait fish will really lock into key cover and then you just get get this big transition of fish moving, kind of running around bait? And how do you try to combat that as far as, you know, being on a on a new body of water or if you just haven't been out in several weeks because work's been busy and the weekend angler gets out on that Saturday or Sunday, what's going to help them kind of key in more to what the current conditions are when they launch the boat that day? Yeah. So, I mean, if you're limited on time, you know, you need to really run around from the point all the way to the back of the creeks or coves and look for the bait with your electronics. If you're not seeing them flickering on the surface, then you got to get on your electronics and look for them. That's the key. But it depends on the particular lake, you know, what other species are in there. Like around our desert lakes, we have lots of stripers. So you may not find them in the back of a creek or a cove in the morning, but later in the afternoon, the stripers may have all the shad pushed up there and then the bass are right behind them, whether it be smallmouth or largemouth. So, yeah, you got to be on the move all the time with your electronics and looking for shad flickering on the surface as well. You know, I mean, you can spot them 100 yards away a lot of times and drive right, right over there and then get bit, you know. So do you feel like although you find a pattern, it's going to be in a certain section of the lake, whether it's the front half of the creek or back half of the creek, and then eventually you're hitting 
getting, you know, kind of the points and the backs visually looking with your eyes and then looking for, you know, the shad on your electronics. And then you can kind of eventually dial in a pattern to run to kind of reproduce over and over. Yeah, that's the idea, you know. That's the whole key is getting that pattern going, you know. If, if you don't get a pattern going, then you're <laughs> and then you're stuck just trying this and that and the other. And next thing you know, you got one or two fish at the end of the day. And ugh, that's never fun. Yeah, yeah, that's always definitely a disappointment for sure. Timmy, this is a tough bite to chat about fall fishing. Lots of things going on with the bass. Not until, you know, it seems like later on in the fall do they really start grouping up. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more in our next segment of the show. But hang tight. We're going to power pole down for a moment, y'all. We're going to return with 2020 U.S. Open champion Timmy Klinger. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the power pole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift. PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong currents or gusting winds in up to eight feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. Bass Edge Radio presented in part by Mercury Marine returns with professional angler Timmy Klinger in the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. Oil that surpasses all manufacturers' requirements. Be sure to visit the BassEdge.com store for free shipping on all Lucas products. It works. Hey, Timmy, let's continue to kind of go down that path of fall fishing action. When do you see the largest change in fish behavior in the fall where where you feel like you can really start putting some numbers of fish together during an eight-hour fishing day? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, once the weather's kind of stabilized, you know, once it's got down to a temperature, say, say 55 degrees or whatever, but it's stable, you know, then that's when it seems like you're going to catch a lot more fish. But when it's up and down and, you know, it can't make the weather just keeps going up and down, cold front after cold front, you know, that makes it tough. But when it's stable for a week, that's when they really start biting better. Do you feel like those cold fronts that come in can trigger? Like, you know, we're just right before the first of November here and um, in your hometown, Las Vegas, Nevada, temps plummeted into the 50s, <laughs> right? So do you feel like, you know, a day like today when that temperature plummets, the fish are going to react heavily and it's a good fishing day? Or do you feel like it's better once the cool down happens and then kind of restabilizes that those are your better days to put some time? out on the water well i think like for instance on uh, lake mojave that's just down the river from lake mead it's a pool of smallmouth bass and and largemouth bass but that particular lake yeah the cold front hit i would love to be down there today throwing a top water it'd probably (laughs) catch 22 pounds of smallmouth i mean it'd be really incredible but lake mead on the other hand it can be just the opposite it could be like you know struggle to get the bites you know but yeah lake mojave for some reason that place oh man them smallmouth when the bad weather hits a real nasty cold front they bite really good that's interesting do you think that's uh it does mojave set up like me does does mojave have grass and and they kind of push toward the back of those pockets is or is it more of a rocky structure and based on your answer on that do you think that cover has a dictation of kind of the way the fish are relating to it that puts them in that 
feeding mode at Mojave or turns them off maybe on a lake like Mead? Yeah, so Lake Mead and Lake Mojave are kind of similar, but Lake Mojave is narrow lake and it, water only fluctuates about 10 foot a year there. So the grass grows really well. And in the fall, like right now, the lake's low. It's it's like 10 foot low. So you have these long, narrow cuts that still have a lot of grass in them. And that's kind of the deal right now, in my opinion, is those long, narrow cuts that still have grass. You go in there and you start throwing that top water around and then big smallmouth just annihilate it. It's so much fun. But outside of the grass, you know, yeah, there's a lot of steep, rocky structure and some old hardwood, uh, like cottonwood trees. And those can produce really well, too. But the grass, you know, the, the grass that's dying off, you know, the shatter always around that grass. And that seems to be the key, at least for me. Yeah, that makes sense. And and you got to go what, what works for you or else or else you're trying to fish somebody else's deal. And that typically doesn't go very well. So what tactics you talk about top water? tactics and techniques come into play these changes start occurring that water temperature is decreasing you get some stabilization what are the lures of choice for timmy Klinger? uh number one top water you know any any walking style top water bait probably number two would be a jerk bait you know jerk baits very <laughs> underrated bait that is a lure that really can catch fish any time of the year but it really shines in the fall and the early spring you know and shallow running crankbaits i use a lot of shallow running crankbaits and spinner baits and chatter baits any of those moving baits something that's going to mimic a shad you know but uh the number one the top water you know, around here where I live, we got lots and lots of clear water and those fish, they'll come from 30 foot of water. You know, they'll be down 30 foot, see that top water, they'll come up and grab it because it's an easy meal. Doesn't get any better than that as far as my opinion. Timmy, give us your thoughts on kind of the differences you see in targeting clear water bass versus, let's say, stained or muddy water bass in the fall. Are, are there major differences or do the bass seem to be concentrated on the same patterns and techniques used to catch them regardless? Yeah, so for me, the clear water fish are a lot harder in my opinion. You know, I mean, you might have to run a lot of spots to catch them really well throughout the day. You know, once in a while you have a, a magical day where you, you may catch a bunch of them in one or two pockets, you know. The difference is the muddy water, the fish don't really know you're there. And that super clear water, they see you and they move and the bait moves. And the stained water, they don't see you as well and they don't move like that, you know. So yeah, I've had phenomenal days on Lake Mead where, you know, you could see maybe two foot of water visibility and just hammer them and in a couple of little pockets you know where the baits just there's so much bait there and there's just tons of bass and they're just feeding on them throughout the day now being that you like the walking baits are they still just as effective in that stained water condition or do you like to go to some of those other techniques you talked about like chatter baiting or spinner baiting do you feel like one excels over another in that more stained water scenario i do for sure the spinner bait small square bill and uh, chatterbait, those totally outfish the top water, you know, and the stained water. 
I don't know why that is. You know, I fished other places across the country where topwater is still unbelievable bite, even in the stained water. But it seems like around here, the subsurface baits just seem to work a lot better, you know. Right. How about one thing I always think is interesting is blade combination. You, you talk about spinnerbaiting a little bit, obviously lots of blade combinations, um, especially in your part of the country where you can move, you know, from and, and really any part of the country, whether you're fishing Table Rock or Lake of the Ozarks or Potomac. River or Lake Mead, uh, you know, if you're in the middle of the creek, you know, you might have, you know, some more clear water scenario and it may not get stained until you get to the back of the creek. Are you going to use the same spinnerbait setup in like a mid creek clear water situation that you would in the back or what's your preference? How do you like to set up your spinnerbait blade combination for this fall scenario? Well, in the fall through the spring, my favorite combination is the Colorado, Indiana on a half ounce head. Nice. I can speed that up. I can slow it down. It puts off a little different vibration than having uh, double willows or just a Colorado, you know. I really like that combination. I've caught tons and tons of bass all across the country on that combination, even in the summertime. But in the fall, around the grass, around the wood, through the spring... That's my number one spinnerbait combination, Colorado with an Indiana blade. So, you know, that's not a common combo that you're going to find at your local retailer, right? So are you... Are you put your? You must be putting together your own concoction at some point, right? Oh yeah, I love I love it when anglers dial something in. They've got a lot of confidence in it. It's not a mainstream play, you know, from tackle manufacturers. I think those kinds of things make a big difference. So great tip there on on some spinnerbait techniques, Timmy. Before we go into our listener question segment of the episode, um, your experience in bass fishing and success on the water really something we can all look up to and want to emulate. As a matter of fact, how can the weekend angler or even, you know, rising tournament competitor understand the keys to your personal success in this challenging sport of bass fishing? Man, that's a tough question. (laughs) Do you think it's a deal where it's like in your head? Do you think it's just, you know, you hear so much about time on the water and, you know, you could go back to even this U.S. Open where you only practiced two days and really hadn't spent much time out there. But obviously, you know, you're a local angler. You've spent thousands i'm gonna assume days on lake mead in the past but uh but what is it that you really feel like i mean you take you know the flw tour win you know you won two hundred thousand dollars at beaver lake in arkansas which kind of has some similarity to some desert lakes obviously but uh you go up to clear lake and, and you win a big event up there uh obviously you, you won another huge event there the toyota event on lake mead trying to dig in pry out that little scoop of Timmy Klinger magic. What is that magic you got? (laughs) So, you know, in my opinion, a lot of that comes with catching one key fish in practice. That is huge. That's a huge confidence builder. I sit there and I think about like Beaver Lake in practice the day before the tournament. I'd had a tough practice and I caught a four pounder, four and a half pounder maybe on a jig. And that gave me a ton of confidence. But my main producer was a jerkbait in that tournament. But the jig, every time I picked it up and I threw it to the right piece of structure, right little lay down, I'd catch a big one. You know, that was a confidence builder in practice, catching that four pounder. U.S. Open, I just won. You know, I caught a couple of fish that just got my mind right for the tournament. You know, how am I going to catch a bigger fish than everybody else? And when I caught one, that made a, a little gear change in my head, you know. It's like, I'm not going to do this or do that. I'm going to do this. 
And the last couple of years that, say, for instance, the U.S. Open, I've had terrible tournaments. And that's because, you know, I know so much of the lake. I know what the fish should be doing. I'm around the fish, but I keep chasing them, chasing them, chasing that top water bite. And it's led to very terrible events, you know. But, you know, you go to Clear Lake, I caught a big fish there in practice. And it just gave me all the confidence in the world to keep throwing the swim bait, you know. Don't do nothing else. Just throw the swim bait. And it paid off. It paid off in a big way, you know. I think experience is one thing. Time on the water is one thing. But in that practice, there's little things that can happen, you know. I mean, like for me, it's always catching one fish could be a key game changer. I may be catching a lot more fish doing something else, but I catch one nice one and it just switches the gear in my head and I run with it and it works. You know, it pans out. That's awesome. Yeah. Actually, Aaron, I remember you telling a story on a big tournament that you won at Table Rock and you caught them on an A-Rig and you had a couple of big fish in practice and it kind of led you into a direction that that had a huge success for you. So you're kind of probably feeling what Timmy's talking about in that. Yeah, I can relate. You know, I was just sitting there listening as, as he was trying to articulate, you know, sometimes it is hard for guys like Timmy that are super successful because you do what you do. But one thing that stuck out, Timmy, was what you said is, you know, looking at practice that you had one little nugget, right? It's it's never a goal, I don't I don't think, for any of us to win practice, right? We don't want to win practice, but we've got to be able to look for those clues that can propel us and kind of get us over that hump and help us combat that mental warfare that might take us down. And I think that is one of the things that you're very good at and, and you're not willing to quit. You're willing to kind of build on what, what you have. And, you know, Kurt, you speak of that deal, I, same deal of that BFL down at Table Rock. I didn't even catch the fish. I had the bites. I had two bites and they about yanked the rod out of my hand. First time I thought I hit a tree and was hung you know the second time i threw i was stupid enough to throw it back in there again and it, it literally about pulled me in and i'm like okay this is what i'm doing so that is one of the things that i took from timmy's comments sir great stuff all right guys well we're gonna move into the listener question segment of the show uh brought to us by nitro performance bass boat this question was sent in by dean Cornett from southwest virginia Dean asks, I've heard all my life to match the hatch when fishing, but never really heard what's the best way to accomplish this. So the only way I know is to first catch one and then in second, be lucky enough for it to spit something up. So is there any other way to do this? That's his question. So Timmy, can you help Dean kind of give your thoughts on the best way to match the hatch, which which I feel like is really important, especially during this season of fall, and, and it can be very important in the springtime too. A lot of different things going on. How do you like to go about making sure that you're matching the hatch in your perspective, Timmy? Yeah, so I'm always hoping that, you know, I can visually see them, you know, like uh, around here, you know, you can see really deep, but uh, it seems like the grass, you know, if you get up around the grass, you can always see some bluegill or see some tilapia or whatever bait fish is up there. And I can visually see them and then get a good idea of what size of blades I need to be using or what size of worm, you know. But, uh, you know, once in a while, we'll just throw some fish in the live well and see if they'll regurgitate something, you know. And and look that way, you know, too. But uh, if you can't visually see them, that's about the only way I, I know how to do it. You know, just put a couple in the live well. Maybe in an hour they'll spit something up and then you can get a good idea of what you need to do to adjust your lure selection. 
So if you're not getting, let's say if you don't have the luxury of actually catching one yet, Timmy, would you suggest downsizing from where you're at that's not producing the bites to be able to do that? Yeah, I mean, you know, typically like, let's just say, you know, fall square bill 1.5, somewhere in that range, you know, a lot of times the guy will start out with that. If you're not getting bit on that, why not go up to a bigger one? I'd rather go bigger than smaller. You know. Okay. Very, very interesting. Go One ahead. other quick thing. I, I got to throw this in there. So this year, and I'm picking an experience I had this year at the U.S. Open, is a uh, smallmouth spitting out red crawfish. Do you think, Timmy, it's that important to really have like some red in your jig or orange in your jig or orange in your crankbait if you see that example where, you know, a fish is spitting up reddish orange crawfish? Or do you think that's more of just something in an angler's head? I mean, does a fish really, in your opinion, key in on a color that hard? Or what's your process of thinking about that? Yeah. I mean, if I'm seeing a ton of crawfish in the live well and they're red and orange, yeah, maybe a little bit, but I'm not a hundred percent with that because like for me, the, the green pumpkin, even if I'm seeing all that red stuff in the live well, green right. pumpkin or black and blue, I mean, I catch them on that all the time. You know what I mean? Yeah. If I go out and throw a, a black and red jig or a green pumpkin with a lot of red, say like a watermelon red, you know, once in a while that'll play real good. But I don't know. It's To me, it's hard to beat just plain old green pumpkin or black and blue. Natural. I mean, color. you don't see any black and blue crawfish in your live well at the end of the day usually, but they sure do bite it, you know? This is a great point. Yeah. Good point. Yeah, good stuff. Stick with what works and the tried and true. And speaking of tried and true, Timmy, thanks uh, for sharing that wisdom with Dean and helping him out with uh, his question. Dean, one more thing that we need from you is to please log on to BassEdge.com. Click the Claim Your Prize tab, fill out the information, and we are going to get the Bass Edge gift sent directly to you. Reminder to all Bass Edge Nation listeners. Listeners, continue firing in those questions to the show. Get your question answered by a pro on an episode that may be coming up this winter, next spring. Um, shoot them over to us via our website, BassEdge.com. Just click the Ask the Pros tab, or you can email us, support at BassEdge.com. Well, Timmy, congratulations once again on uh, just a fantastic career, but certainly adding the U.S. Open Championship to your trophy wall is is quite amazing. We certainly appreciate you being on the show any closing thoughts for the listeners yeah i mean uh it's fall so start out with that top water and then you got to work down to jerk bait do it they bite it <laughs> all right that's great jerk bait's also one of my favorite i haven't won any tournaments on it yet but uh hopefully it's coming i, I did actually have a top 10 at harris chain one year and primarily using jerk bait so uh i gotta agree with timmy totally underused very good all times of year timmy awesome chatting with you again all the best your future bass fishing endeavors bass edge nation listeners don't go away we will return in a moment you know the importance of protecting your investments so why use anything else other than the original and toughest diy keel protector for your boat megaware keel guard Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology. MegaWare KeelGuard Keel Protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also from MegaWare KeelGuard, SkegGuard, FlexStep Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWare KeelGuard. 
patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment. The PowerPole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong currents or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. Wonderful conversation right there. Timmy Klinger, Aaron. It was his year to win the Wombass U.S. Open. Super proud of him. But really loved the conversation we got into there in fall fishing and the similarities from the West Coast to the Central U.S. to the East Coast. Timmy likes to concentrate on that grass. You don't think about desert lakes and grass a whole lot. They got it out there, and uh, it holds fish. And then the relation of how that transpires from kind of that late summer to fall fishing. And one of the key points that Timmy made was having an area that the bait can stay into and relate to some kind of cover that will stick the bait in an area which should stick the bass in an area which traditionally those bass keep moving to stay with the bait right so absolutely uh, good stuff right there man yeah and uh so happy for him again we talk about this every single year but for you and i personally and most bass anglers that's been around for a while the u.s open carries such a respect and timmy i'm so happy for him and just to break it down like he did you know it seems so common sense but yet when you get on a body of water the size of lake mead and the difficulty and and it's and you just know it you're going to be grinding for every bite you can get and his ability to translate that over into you know how it applies the very things that he uses out there applies to the east the south to the north and he has shown that obviously a million dollars million dollars plus in earnings yeah, uh, yeah the guy didn't get there by just winning on one body of water or, or one technique alone he brought the goods kurt yeah no doubt the other thing i want to bring up out of that whole conversation and we brought your experience into that as well which is being able to recognize the important bite of practice that leads you to a highly successful event. I think oftentimes many anglers get that bite in practice, right? Yes, they, yes. But they don't recognize it. They don't and, – and, and sometimes it's not always just a bite. It's a visual uh, – you see something, you feel something, you have a gut instinct of something. But for whatever reason, we don't follow that bite. We don't follow that instinct. We don't recognize that and process what it is that we see in practice on the water that can lead us to a successful event. Or for that matter, you know, we see on the water that can lead us to a good day of fishing. So very important to be cognizant of everything that's going on, whether it's, uh, you know, something that spits up a bait or what kind of bait it spits up or what you see visually in the water or the lure that maybe you got a couple strikes on. Maybe they didn't eat that bait, but it's just a transition of bait usage to that same area that leads you to success in a tournament. So really important to pay attention. Timmy talked about his key to his success, million dollar plus winner fishing in bass tournaments because he's 
been able to really discern what is important in practice and to follow that lead to successful fishing days. Yeah, a lot so, of times it's just breadcrumbs, isn't it? And, you know, and, and yeah. that's uh, with my reduction in time on the water and fishing, I've had to become very efficient and very aware, and that hasn't always paid off. But no right. longer do I get, you know, do the wheels come off if I have a bad practice. It's looking for that clue, that one thing that you might be able to build on. And used to would never think about, Kurt, during a tournament going and fishing all new water that I haven't practiced. Yep. But now that's just, uh, I'm okay with that. And, and if that's what it takes, then so be it. So great episode, great job on putting this one together as, as you do on every episode of producing these, getting our guests uh, out there and uh, agreed to kind of share their skills and their knowledge. You know, one thing I do want to close with, Kurt, this is episode 339, November 1st. There have been a tremendous amount of people, record turnouts, which is fantastic that have already voted if uh, any of our Bass Edge audience is one that has not done that. Please do so. Uh, make your vote count this year. Exercise that right, that freedom. And uh, after this, hopefully, maybe by November 15th, we might know who is actually uh, president, right, Kurt? <laughs> yeah, let's cross our fingers. That goes fluidly as possible. <laughs> <laughs> so I noticed you stayed away from that with the 10-foot bowl, but uh, anyway. <laughs> hey, we appreciate all of the listeners. Be sure to stay abreast of everything Bass Edge, whether it's through our social media, certainly through our website. Visit the BassEdge.com store, and uh, we look forward to seeing everybody on episode 340, November 15th. So long everybody the edge is presented by megaware keel guard for more information on bass edge or to shop at the bass edge online store visit BassEdge.com and be sure to join kurt dove and aaron martin right here on another episode of the edge brought to you in part by nitro boats lucas oil protect the harvest.com mercury marine lawrence electronics power pole and rapaholic.com <laughs>